0: Let's go now to the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah. We're going to read just a few minutes from Isaiah chapter 6. But before we read Isaiah chapter um, 6 from verse 1 through to verse 7. I want to speak about another prophet. The prophet Amos. In the 8th century BC, Rome was beginning to see foundations for its empire laid with victory over its North African rival Carthage. Greek culture was expanding with the founding of the Olympic Games and the spread of the Greek language, a process called Hellenization. Uh, Homer, you may have heard of the Odyssey, the Iliad, some ancient classical Writings, those writings came around this time. At this time, also the seed for uh, what we call democracy was being laid. Civilizations were flourishing. Now, we changed the scene to a rural farming community in a backwater of Jerusalem in Judah. And a place that is in ruins today, you can go there and you can you can still see um, some of the ruins. There's an archaeological site there, a place called Tekoa. God in Tekoa calls a man of seemingly no significance named Amos. He himself says he has no significance. He um, re- refers to himself as a shepherd. His Father was not a prophet. There's no lineage of uh, prophecy in his family. But God calls this shepherd in this rural backwater of Judah into Koa to prophesy to the northern kingdom, not Judah, the northern kingdom, um, about 10 years prior to Hosea's prophecy to prophesy to the northern kingdom. Concerning repentance, concerning righteousness and God's view of righteousness to call them to true faith. Amos clearly felt out of place. He was not, as I said, of any prophetic background, but he was a southerner and he was not particularly welcome in the northern kingdom. There was, remember, a split between Israel and Judah in the days of Rehoboam, Solomon's son. You can kind of hear uh, the animosity from people. We, we don't need you coming here and telling us what to do. You want to bring your uh, Jerusalem customs. You want to bring your uh, Judaic customs into our kingdom. How dare you? You are an outsider. But God powerfully used Amos to warn of his judgment on Israel's national neighbors, ethnic relatives, and his spiritual sister, Judah, Before turning sights on Israel, which he says is ripe for judgment as they have not turned in repentance to God. The call is given. It's a call that may be the one thing that someone here today needs to hear above anything else. And that is seek me and live. Seek me and live. Tragically, the northern kingdom would not now, Amos begins with a fairly interesting reference. Amos speaks of his prophecy coming two years before the earthquake. Two years before the earthquake. He doesn't give any details of the earthquake. He doesn't speak of uh, what happened at that Day, He doesn't speak of how that earthquake came about or why it came about. He just indicates the word of the Lord came to him in a particular way two years before the earthquake. Which assumes that this was an event of such cataclysmic significance that everyone in his day would know what earthquake he referred to. We'll come to see and understand what that earthquake referred to in a few moments. Isaiah 6, read with me. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So we, we see something of Isaiah the prophet's call. We see how uh, not, not only his call, we, we see essentially his salvation. We see how he is in the moment of uh, recognizing the holiness of God, hit by the reality that he is not holy and that he must be purified. And God is faithful and just, as he always is, when people humble themselves and call out to him to hear and to answer, and he purifies him. But Isaiah's story clearly doesn't end there. His salvation comes conjoined with his call. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Isaiah, understandably struck by these difficult words, by this difficult call to go and, and preach without response, without seemingly a hope of redemption, it says, how long, O Lord? The Lord responds until cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people. And the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away. The forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. And the holy seed is its stump. Now, we see here a cataclysmic event in the life of the nation. King Uzziah was dead, he had served the nation for 52 years. A very long time, less than the time of our late queen, but 52 years is a good period of time. He was taken as king by Judah after his own father, Amaziah, when he was 16 years of age. He falls into a space of multiple generations in the books of the kings of whom it was said that they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And yet, though in a line of relatively righteous kings, the Scriptures do give some qualifiers. Let's rewind a little bit. And you can go to 2 Chronicles. Second Chronicles 22. 2 Chronicles 22. And you can find yourself introduced to Uzziah's great-grandfather, who was an evil king, Ahaziah. It's it's said in verse 1 that the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son that is the son of Jehoram, king in his place for the band of men that came with the Arabians to the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah the son of Jehoram king of Judah reigned. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign and he reigned for 1 year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. For his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. And if you don't understand, if it's not clear enough to the reader from the previous chapters, he specifies again, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. There are three um, moments there where he indicates he did not walk in righteousness. He walked in the ways of Ahab an evil king. He walked in the ways of his mother in doing wickedly and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done. For after the death of his father, they were his counselors to his undoing. Ultimately, Isaiah meets at his end. You notice he only reigned one year. It's a far cry from 52 years of his great-grandson, Isaiah. After he died after he was killed. His mother, seeing that her son is dead, his mother, the one who counseled him in doing wickedly, arose and destroyed all the royal family of the house of Judah. Now, in case the significance of that hasn't sunk in, you do realize what this means. She is killing her grandchildren. She is the mother of Ahaziah. Ahaziah has children. The royal family that is of the lineage of David, remember that the Lord gave a promise to David that from his seed there would be one who would reign forever. The family, the lineage of David, we have Ahaziah dead. She arises and kills all of the royal family, Ahaziah's sons. It's shocking. But, verse 11 says, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were about to be put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus Jehoshabiah, the daughter of King Jehoram and wife of Jehoiada, the priest, because she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she did not put him to death. And he remained with them for six years, hidden in the house of God, while Athaliah reigned over the land. Jehoshabiah did a very difficult thing. She did something that could end in her own death. She did something that was putting others at risk of death. The priest, Jehoiada, and his family were taking a risk. They brought up Joash in the temple, the king's son. You understand the significance of this. All of his brothers are killed, yet Joash, who is the last remaining of that seed of David, is alive. And he's being brought up in the temple. Now, Athaliah reigns and she did what was evil. She was an impostress. She was not anointed to be ruler of the nation. She was not the one that God had chosen to continue things. But God allowed her for a season to remain in that place. In the seventh year... Joash, very, very young child still. Jehoiada took courage. I love that statement. Jehoiada took courage. They've been keeping this child in the temple, knowing this is the king, knowing that this is the anointed one, knowing this is the seed of David. They've been keeping him in the house of the Lord. He takes courage. He enters into a covenant with the commanders of hundreds. Azariah, the son of Jehoram, Ishmael, the son of Jehohan. Azariah, the son of Obed, Messiah, the son of Adadiah, Elishaphat, the son of Zichri. And they went about through Judah and they gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah, the heads of the father's houses, and they came to Jerusalem. So everyone comes together into Jerusalem and this is what they do. They enter into a covenant with the king because Athaliah is an impostress; She's not the ruler. This is the king, whether anyone realizes it or not. They enter into covenant with him, even though he is a child. They respect the authority God has given. They respect his line. And they enter into covenant with him. And Jehoiada says, behold, the king's son, let him reign as the Lord spoke concerning the sons of David. And so long story short, they uh, they get together and they have a coronation. Can you imagine what happens next? They bring the king's son, they put a crown on him and they give him this testimony. They proclaim him king. Jehoiada and his sons anoint him and they say, long live the king. And you can can imagine the cries of the people. They're celebrating. Next year we're going to have a coronation. And there will be people who will be crying out, long live the king. You can imagine the din, the noise, the, um, the the sound of trumpets which is indicated. This is not a hush-hush thing. This is not a clandestine experience here. They are gathering an Athaliah, the impostress who has declared herself queen, not anointed by God in the palace. You can you can picture yourself there right now. She hears the noise of the people running and praising the king. She goes into the house of the Lord to the people. You can imagine her thinking no, I've been reigning for seven years now. This is my kingdom. I am over this as queen. Who are they praising? What has gone on? And you can, you can see this, this sort of kingdom in her own mind of her own making that she's built up completely evaporate before her eyes. Put yourself in Athalia's shoes at the moment. That, that gut punch, that sickness of feeling, wondering what has gone on. Did I miss something? Did I miss someone? You would think that a grandmother would know when one of her grandsons was missing. Wouldn't you? Okay, things were a bit different perhaps, and she comes across as a singularly callous and vile person. But, but all the same, you would think that there would be some understanding. She goes... She looks into the house of the Lord and there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king and all the people of the land rejoicing, giving this king the coronation that she probably never had, celebrating this man, this this, not even a man, he's a child in a way that she had not been celebrated, blowing the trumpet, crying out in joy, singing with musical instruments leading in the celebration. Athaliah knows the game is up. She tears her clothes and cries out, treason, treason. But the whole nation is against her. Jehoiada, the priest who had sheltered the once the future king, brings out the captains who were set over the army and as priests says, bring her out between the ranks and anyone who follows her is to be put to death with the sword. Do not put her to death in the house of the Lord. They laid hands on her. She went to the entrance of the horse gate of the king's house and they put her to death there. If you think that's harsh, remember this is someone who killed her own grandchildren. Joash. What about Joash? Well, After two evil rulers, Joash, it says, 24 verse 2, he was right. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Wonderful. But there's a qualifier there, is there not? Joash was a righteous king throughout the days of Jehoiada the priest. And his legacy is one of being righteous throughout the days of Jehoiada the priest. But what about after the days of Jehoiada the priest? Joash brought up in the temple, Joash brought up almost as if he was Jehoiada the priest's son. Joash brought up as though he was the brother of Jehoiada's sons. Was righteous throughout the days of Jehoiada the priest, but this is what happens after. After the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and they paid homage to the king. And what seems to occur here is that there's flattery. There's something insidious that's going on that's seeking to distract, that's seeking to, um, to, to take away Joash from righteousness. Because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't give the details here in 2 Chronicles, but it says, Then the king listened to them. And they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and they served the Asherim and the idols. God who saved Joash, who protected Joash, who was there keeping him safe in his house. He grew up in the house of the Lord. He had seen the power of the Lord. Turns aside and worships the deities of a sex cult. Wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. God is so gracious. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest. the, the one, one Understand, the son of Jehoiada the priest who would have grown up with Joash. Who would have been there with Joash. I don't know the nature of their relationship, but it, it, it's clear that he's the son of Jehoiada the priest. And that as son of Jehoiada the priest, there would have been a level of intimacy there with Joash. He was clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit. He stood above the people and said, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, He has forsaken you. But they conspired against Him. But King Joash defends him and says, no, leave him alone. This is my brother. No. By command of the king, they stoned him with stones. Like Athaliah outside the house of the Lord? No. They stoned him in the very court of the house of the Lord. Thus, Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. Can you imagine? He's brought up and shown this care and this love, and he kills this man's son. When he was dying, Zechariah simply said, May the Lord see and avenge. Joash reigned 40 years, then he was assassinated. Then we have Amaziah. Amaziah was 25 years, it says, um, when he began to reign. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. You, you think about it. We, the, these periods of time, they seem quite lengthy, but, but life goes by very fast. 29 years seems like a long time to reign, but it's not. Here we are millennia later talking about what happened then. You can go to the sites. You can see where all of this took place so many years ago. Joash continues the line of David. Amaziah comes next. He reigns 29 years. His mother's name, it says, was Jehoiada of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And you think, great, wonderful. But then you read next, yet not with the whole heart another qualifier after god had delivered the nation from their enemies this is how it is sometimes isn't it maybe you recognize it in your own life i want us to do some soul searching this morning when god delivers us what do we then do with god i've seen it time and time again people use god they they get on, this is the only way i can picture it they get on the god bus And God takes them to whatever destination they desire. And then they hop off. And are confused. That they lose what they gained. Don't use God. God delivers them from their enemies. But Amaziah, after he strikes down the Edomites, the enemies of the Lord... He brought the gods of the men of Seir, the gods of these defeated people. Do you understand? These people have been defeated by the God of Israel. These gods have shown themselves to be completely powerless. Amaziah has gone in the name of Yahweh, the Lord of heaven and earth. And he has won victory that only the Lord could give. And what does he do? He takes the gods of these defeated people. He sets them up as his gods and worships them, making offerings to them. It's incredible. I've I've been given victory by the Lord of heaven and earth, but I'm going to worship gods of a defeated people. Therefore, the Lord was angry with Amaziah and sent him a prophet. He is so gracious. Look, these guys, their legacy is one of righteousness. As as a whole, it it speaks, you know, they were righteous. But, you know, in the days of Jehoiada the priest, but not with a whole heart. And God keeps sending messengers. He keeps sending prophets who say, Why have you sought the gods of people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? As he was speaking, the king said, Have we made you a royal counselor? Stop. Why should you be struck down? So the prophet stopped but said, I know that God is determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. Zechariah went to the death. Zechariah was struck down. This prophet he speaks. He's not struck down, but he, he gives him over to God. God's determined to destroy you. Struck down he was. He faced defeat at the hands of the northern kingdom of Israel. He faced a conspiracy. And from the time when he turned away from the Lord, it says they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem. And so he fled to Lachish. But they sent after him to Lachish and put him to death There. You could say that Uzziah has an interesting heritage. It was a heritage checkered at best. Though the legacy of his fathers was one of primary righteousness, I think we can agree from these words that it was not one of pure and persevering righteousness. Their legacy may be recorded as they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but it comes with heavy qualifiers. They did great things. They had tremendous opportunities. They enacted justice in the nation, but they tragically were severely compromised. So Uzziah steps into his role as king in leadership of the nation of Judah from 16 years of age, thrown into responsibility while himself still maturing. He would reign 52 years. And this is what Second Chronicles says. He had, uh, it says, all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and they made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He, bought, he built Eloth and restored it to Judah, and the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign. So notice, his, his father, I've already said, remember, he fled to Lachish. He, he was basically an exile in the for a few years. Uzziah was reigning in his stead to a degree. And that's why there's a little bit of overlap. The king sleeps with his fathers. The king dies and he's laid to rest. Uzziah was 16 then when he began to reign. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. According to all that his father Amaziah had done. But Amaziah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, didn't he? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with the whole heart. So this means that Uzziah's plight is somewhat similar. If he does what his father did, then he is serving the Lord, but there's something missing. There's a lack of wholeheartedness that's there. But it does say he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. But what about when he didn't seek the Lord? You see, that's implied there. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. But, but there's an implication that there comes a moment when he doesn't seek the Lord. Uh, he goes on and he talks about some amazing things in Jerusalem. It says he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners, to shoot arrows and great stones. So you can think of catapults, basically. Machines of war to defend the people. His fame spread afar for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. But when he was strong, he grew proud. And what is pride if not seeking oneself? What is pride if not seeking one's own? He was unfaithful to the Lord, his God. And he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, this is interesting. Uh, Perhaps we'll remember that this was not something for the kings. This was part of the downfall of King Saul. He wanted to sacrifice to the Lord of heaven and earth, but he was not the right one to make sacrifice. God was very clear in his word, very clear in his law as to who should make sacrifice. The priests. And specific sacrifice in the Holy of Holies was designated to the high priest. The kings were not a part of it. The kings themselves should go to the priest to make sacrifice on their behalf. But Uzziah has grown strong and he's prospered and he senses the power of the Lord upon him. And so he thinks he has the right. He thinks he has the power and the authority to enter into the temple of the Lord and to do that which the Lord has designated only for the priests, not for him. The priests are... Valiant, The priests, there were 80 there. It says they were men of valor. They were not pushovers. They were not people who were going to concede to the king's authority on this because ultimately they realized they served one who has a higher authority, the God who gave them their position, the God who made them and elected them as priests. And so they stand against the king who you know they love, who you know they've sworn and pledged allegiance to. But because they love him and because they've pledged allegiance to him, they cannot let him continue to achieve what he desires in burning this incense. They say to him, it says they withstood him and said, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated To burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Go out. This is not your place. This is not what you need to be doing. This is not in keeping with the Lord's command. Your heart may be sincere. It wasn't. It was out of pride. But. You can think, well, his motives may be in his mind. He, he thought he was sincere. He's, he's worshipping the one true God. It doesn't say he's going to worship the Asherah. It doesn't say he's going to worship the Baals. It doesn't say he's going to worship any other of the gods of the Canaanites. He's, he's going to offer incense before the Lord. Does it really matter? It matters that God is pleased. It matters that God's word is kept. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And as Uriah, the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly. And he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. He could not enter it again, not even to see the priests. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Now, after this brief history lesson, the Lord is the sender of kings. The Lord is the sender of kings. He is the king maker. The king maker. Would you say that with me? The Lord is the sender of kings. Say it with me. The Lord is the sender of kings. He is the king maker. He's the one who gives authority. Romans 13 tells us that he has given us authority. No authority exists in that um, which comes from God. In the aftermath of our recent chaos um, um, in, in our own uh, government, in our own uh, democracy and uh, having three prime ministers this year already i 've seen you know some some people um, posting memes and, um, and, and and things you know just kind of giving their opinion out of frustration. I get it, but saying that they, whoever they is, they got what they wanted with our new prime minister because he 's apparently has certain agendas, which he probably does to some degree. But no, God got what he wanted. He got what he wanted in Boris Johnson. He got what he wanted in Liz Truss. And he got what he wanted in Rishi Sunak. You think, hold on, what? Yeah. The rulers God gives, governments he gives are not always... Not always going to do what is right and what is good. They're not always there for our salvation or deliverance. Sometimes they're there for the nation's judgment. And throughout the scriptures we see nations in chaos being indicators. Governments in chaos being indicators of God's favor and God's judgment upon a land. Whatever one's politics. Whoever. Labour, conservative, lib diem, third party, whatever is there, God has allowed it. God is the sender of kings. Some people say, well, I'm not a, I'm not a monarchist. Well, that's, that's, that's fine. That's fine. You can be a Republican. It's okay. It's, you, know, you can have that conscientiously, but you still have a king. I, you know, people holding up, holding up. I think, did I see you, Chola? Were you holding up the sign? <laughs> not my king. <laughs> Just in case it's clear. other wasn't doing that. Um, but, but you have a king. Whether you like it or not. I have a king. And the Lord has allowed it. For better, for worse. He's allowed it. For salvation, for destruction. He's allowed it. He is the sender of kings. He is the establishment of authorities. He is the one who is the king maker. But, but there's more to unpack here. The Lord is the standard of kings. The Lord is the standard of kings. He is the king's standard. Would you say that with me? The Lord is the standard of kings. He is the king's standard. It's interesting that in this historical record we have, the most important thing that we see The thing that sums it up, that's an overview of each of these individuals' reigns is whether they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord or whether they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's the most important thing. It's not about the machines that Uzziah built. It's not about his fame that was everywhere. It's not about the victories that God gave. It's not about the faithfulness that these men showed at various junctures in their reign. It's about whether or not they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord or what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And in a a world that is chaotic and messed up among fallen people, as we've seen, sometimes the lines are blurred and you have to give qualifiers He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not with a whole heart. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but only in the days of Jehoiada the priest. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but but then he sought to do what God did not desire in regard to worship. The Lord is the standard of kings. What matters is what's right in his eyes and what's not right in his eyes. And we see when what's done is not right, when there is evil, when there is wrongdoing... His people, he sends to give a prophetic challenge. Most of the time, I think we sometimes misunderstand prophecy. When people think prophecy, when they hear prophesy, they think, oh, this is someone going to say this is supposed to happen in 70 years or 700 years. That's not really the majority of prophecy. Read the prophets. There's, yes, many predictions that are there, many um, prophecies that are uh, regarding the future, some yet to be fulfilled. But prophecy, I'm sure there's a, a more accurate statistic out there, but um, f- from my general oversight of it, I would say with confidence at least 70% preaching, speaking truth to the authorities that God has given, speaking truth To the people of the land. Speaking truth that is, turn to the Lord, seek the Lord, and live. There are two ways in front of you serve the Lord and live, abandon the Lord and be handed over to your enemies. That's what we see throughout the Old Testament. There's prophetic challenge, and we've read of those prophetic challenges, there's priestly action. The people in the house of the Lord. Think about it again. It's something, it, it almost brings tears to the eyes. Jehoiada takes in Joash. He brings him up in the house of the Lord. He takes action and he raises the man who would kill his own son. Doesn't it sicken you? Doesn't it sadden you? Imagine, these stories abound, you can probably type in something like that on Google and find a pretty similar story. Someone takes in another and they, they kill their family members, their blood. It's just not right. It's not in keeping with the king's standard. But the action Jehoiada took, he knew, regardless of the man that Joash would come to be, He knew, he knew that this was the seed of David and that God's promise would be fulfilled. Whether Joash was righteous or wrong, God would fulfill his promise in some way through Joash. Prophetic challenge and priestly action that declares this is the standard. This is what the Lord says. Romans 13 tells us that the government God has given, the, the uh, rulers that God gives and that he establishes, they have these purposes. This is the scope of it, to, to praise those who do good and to punish those who do evil. That's the scope of it. And government often goes outside those bounds, and that's where we, God's people, must continually speak the truth and call, yes, even our leaders to Repentance. The Lord is the sender of kings, the king maker. He's the standard of kings, the king standard. He's the shaker of kings, the king breaker. Each of these kings died. Each of these kings that we've read about in this case died in an unpleasant way. Because they went outside of the Lord's command, because they abandoned the Lord, because they desecrated his house, because they impugned the name of his servants, because they resisted his holy word. They, they met their destruction because they abandoned the Lord, as the prophet says, he has abandoned you. Now, I like the history around this time that's external from the Scriptures. There was a man named Josephus. You may have heard of him. Who, um, he, he, he was a Jewish historian. And he taking records from his day in time. Which was um, post Christ on earth. But still in the days of um, r- relatively early on in the year of our Lord. He wrote this about the situation. While Uzziah was in this state and making preparations for the future, he was corrupted in his mind by pride and became insolent. And this on account of that abundance which he had of things that will soon perish. He had prospered. Remember it says in the days he sought the Lord, he prospered. But on account of those things that the Lord had blessed him with, he became proud in his own self. It says that he despised the power, which is of eternal duration, which consisted in piety towards God and in the observation of his laws. So he fell by occasion of the good success of his affairs and was carried headlong into those sins of his father, which the splendor of that prosperity he enjoyed and the glorious actions he had done led him into while he... Was not able to govern himself well about them. Accordingly, when a remarkable day was come and a general festival was to be celebrated, he put on the holy garment, which wasn't even his to put on, and he went into the temple to offer incense to God upon the golden offer. It's pairing up, isn't it? It's the same story. Um, He was prohibited to do so by Azariah the high priest, who had fourscore priests with him. Remember, 80 priests? It pairs up. A score is 20, fourscore. Fourscore priests were with Azariah, the high priest, and they told him, It's not lawful for you to offer sacrifice, that none besides the posterity of Aaron were permitted to do so. And when they cried out that he must go out of the temple, not transgress against God, he was wroth at them and threatened to kill them unless they would hold their peace. In the meantime, a great earthquake shook the ground and a rent was made in the temple. And the bright rays of the sun shone through it and fell upon the king's face insomuch that the leprosy seized upon him immediately. And before the city at a place called Erog, half the mountain broke off from the rest on the west and rolled itself four furlongs and stood still at the east mountain till the roads as well as the king's garden were spoiled by the destruction. Remember where we began? Two years before the earthquake. And now here we are. The earthquake. A direct act of God's judgment upon a rebellious king. Fast forward. About 16 years, Uzziah was exiled in this house, a leper. And Uzziah dies. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. The Lord is the sender of kings. He's the king maker. He's the standard of kings, the king's standard. He is the shaker of kings, the king breaker. He is the savior. The Lord is the savior, the king of kings. In the year that King Uzziah died, once more national and political chaos and turmoil, Isaiah has this cataclysmic, this transforming experience where he is in the very throne room of God. This is where Isaiah's ministry begins. Isaiah would see King Uzziah, yes, but his ministry would take place during the reign of four kings. Tradition says that he was put to death under a fifth Manasseh, you may remember that Manasseh was the most evil, wicked king that the nation had ever seen, and that was his legacy. But unlike these other kings who, they were righteous and ended poorly, Manasseh was evil and ended righteous. Righteous. These these other kings, they did what was right before the Lord, and that's their legacy in the long term. They did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but they didn't do it with the whole heart. Manasseh went full on into evil, but he ultimately would repent. And though his legacy would remain one of evil, Manasseh himself, I, I, have, I believe according to what the Scriptures promise us regarding repentance and faith and, and God's hearing and answering that Manasseh is in... The presence of the Lord. How gracious is God? He is the Savior. He's the Savior of righteous kings who don't end well. He's the Savior of wicked kings who do end well. He's the Savior of the people, whether they follow the king or not. He's the Savior who sends the prophets. He's the Savior who appointed the priests. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. Isaiah declares in Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord. He goes on, and it's clear that he is shaken by what he sees. He is shaken by this experience. He experiences 16 years after the earthquake, in the year that King Uzziah died. His own personal earthquake. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. The house was filled with smoke. I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Not Uzziah, he's dead. Not Uzziah's heir. Not Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah. Not Not. Not. Any of the other kings, he saw the king, the king of all. And he cries out to him and he's saved and he's sanctified and he's sent. Sent to declare the good news. Sent to declare bad news, yes, at first. There's a lot of bad news there, but there's hope. God is giving His people over to judgment, and Isaiah cries out, "How long, O Lord? Everything will lie waste. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again." He says, "Like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled." But those last words, "The holy seed is its stump," there's still a seed. The line of David continues. And Isaiah goes on to declare as we approach that season where we particularly remember the incarnation. That there's going to be one who will come and bring an end to the people's wondering. An end to the people's shame. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his kingdom there will be no end. This is our Saviour. Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 says that he, though being equal with God, did not count equality with God something to hold on to, to grasp, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of man being found in human form. He he, he lowered himself, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And though he was humbled, though he humiliated himself, on the cross, he is exalted. It doesn't end in his defeat. He did that, now highly exalted, so that at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Lord is the sender of kings, the kingmaker. He is the standard of kings, the king's standard, the shaker of kings, the king breaker and the savior, the king of kings. Are you serving him? Have you bowed your knee to him? Are you trusting him? Are you living for him alone? Have you cried out to him that he would shake you? that he would, in shaking you, break what needs to be broken and make what needs to be made. That he would save you. Have you cried out to him, God, I, I'm a, a man, a woman of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Save me. Sanctify me. And have you said, answering his call, the call of discipleship that he gives to each of us. Here am I. Send me. Isaiah felt he's nothing. You and I, we think we're nothing. God calls us. Here am I. Send me. Save me. Sanctify me. Send me. Well, I don't have any, anything big I can bring to the table. It's not about whether we have something in our minds that we think is big to bring to the table. Amos was a shepherd. A shepherd. He was not descended from a prophet. He did not consider himself a prophet, but he was a prophet. Who are you? you're a child of God he has called you to proclaim the good news of his kingdom Father I pray that you would save us sanctify us and send us Father we are a people of unclean lips we, we don't know or right from the left sometimes give us wisdom change us and transform us Help us to be like you. May we proclaim the kingdom that is already but not yet. May we proclaim that hope of that coming established, tangible, physical reality where your dwelling place will be with us. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.